I write a poem out of curiosity. And so then when I get to the end, it's, it's a door that's opening that's saying, this is where we want to go. So what that, what that uh, Washington Post journalist wrote about my work so many years ago is true and it still remains true because my work, my writing is aspirational. It's saying, this is where I want to go. It's kind of like the words are saying to the rest of my system, like, hey, this is the direction we're going, well, let's go, you know, in case anyone has questions about where the doubts and the fears are going. Like my poetry is sending me off, you know? And so I come back to my work a lot. It always, it always feeds me. Welcome to Is It Worth It, the self-worth podcast where we explore how different areas of our life affect our self-worth and how to build and maintain our sense of self-worth. My name is Roshni and I am a self-worth life coach. I help my clients discover their worth so they can stop holding back and start taking control of their lives full force. You can find my other free content under the name Beti Grew Up, that's B-E-T-I Grew Up, on Instagram and YouTube, and you can sign up for my free newsletter at BetiGrewUp.com. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, and welcome back to a new podcast episode. So in this episode, I wanted to do a deep dive into self-trust a little bit more and just talk about how self-trust can impact our creativity and how creativity is actually a wonderful arena to start practicing and developing your sense of self-trust. So I actually brought on artist Neelam Patel on my Instagram, and we have a wonderful conversation over Instagram Live, and I actually wanted to take that entire conversation and share it with you in this podcast because there were so many wonderful tidbits that we discussed and I just feel like so many parts of her story are so so relatable. So Neelam is an artist, she's a dancer, a playwright, an actress. She does so much and really gears a lot of her work to the immigrant experience, to the experiences of women of color and just to social justice issues that we're all experiencing. She has such an interesting story of how she's coming into her own as an artist and the process that goes behind her work. So we also are going to touch on the South Asian society again in this podcast and really explore how some mindsets within South Asian societies can cause you to doubt yourself, especially as a South Asian woman. So we are going to cover a lot of topics in this video, so I hope you enjoy this interview. And the last thing that I want to mention is that we do talk about my online course, Not Your Betty. Neelam is a student in this course right now, but the doors for Not Your Betty are currently closed. So if you are interested or you want to speak to me about this course, then there is going to be a contact form in the show notes below where you can reach out to me and also get on a wait list for the next time that I offer Not Your Betty, but otherwise, I hope that you enjoy the rest of this episode. So without further ado, we're going to jump into the Instagram live that we had a couple of weeks ago. Thanks so much for listening. All right, so let's get started. So first of all, hi, um, Neelam is so amazing. I'm so glad that you're all like getting to see this conversation and getting to meet her. Um, so basically, I mean, you do like everything. What do you not do? You're a poet, you're a writer, you're an artist, a dancer, an actress, a playwright, like you do so many things. And that's why I thought this conversation would just be perfect because I think we need someone who isn't afraid to like just mix and be multi-passionate, you know, with, with everything that they love to do. So, um, yeah, I definitely want to just hear a little bit more about yourself and, um, would you mind introducing yourself to everyone? Sure. Thanks, Roshi, first of all, for having me on this. I'm very excited to be here and collaborating with you on this. 
I'm Neelam, everyone. I am, as Roshi says, a poet, dancer, actress, playwright, um, creator uh, here in the Washington, D.C. area. I live in Arlington. Um, I worked in technology for many, many, many years and recently decided to dive all in. So that's where I am now is making up life as I go by making things. Yes, I love that. I feel like this, you're just like my kind of person, <laughs> like the person that just like doesn't fit into things. That's like, that's who I am. And I feel like, I don't know, just I love that that can be a strength, though, and not like a weakness. Like, I don't know. But um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, and talking a little bit about your work, you just posted that tribute to Kamala Harris. And then you also posted that like celebration party for um as well and just kind of the idea of how to do that with your own friends and I just love how everything you do is so original like it's definitely current but it's also just something that I've never seen before I've never heard before and that's hard to say with how much content out there there's such a wild volume of things going on so can you tell us about just like your process of you know mixing poetry dance theater like when do you decide to use which do you have certain forms that you go to for certain things like how what's your creative process really right right I mean I couldn't write a book on it because there's no template but um, I would say as a person, like I've always felt things very deeply. And as you said, like it felt like a weakness before, like how do I get through the day with all these millions of feelings? And then as I've grown, I've realized that like those vibrations are telling me to express something. And when I don't, I fall into a depression if I were, if this is going to be an honest discussion, right? So I, I know I have to release it. And my sisters and my friends remind me, you know, if I'm in a rough spot, they're like, have you wrote anything, written anything recently? Have you made anything? So in terms of what you asked about, like, how do I mix everything? What's my process? Really, it's a deep listening process. And I wait for, I mean, I call it vibrations. Like, what's vibrating in me? Like, Kamala Harris um, being nominated and then having won, like, brought tears to my eyes. And so I investigated, like, what is that? And what does it mean for me? And... Through the years, I've really learned not to uh, mute myself and mute my feelings because that's what ends up in the depression. So really listen to what does this mean and how do I want to express it? I love that because it is such like a form of trust to just kind of listen to what's happening. And it's almost like the way that I love thinking about creativity is like, you're just a vessel for these ideas. Yes. You know? And I think that I really resonate with what you say, because so much of it is listening. Like, I feel like a lot of the way that creativity is talked about, it's talked about from such like a hustle culture point of view, especially with how much like content creation is like on the rise and all of that. And so it's kind of like, force yourself to sit down and do all these things. And while that, you know, that does take that motivation, and it does take that drive, it's still also important to, you know, just step back and listen, because I feel like there's so much always brewing below, like beneath the surface, like in all of us, it's not just a you thing or a me thing. This is how we all are. And we're sensitive beings overall, too. And there's so much being thrown at us all the time, even in a pandemic, or especially because of a pandemic, you know, so um, yeah, I think that makes so much sense that it's not that you're putting on or forcing but you're more just like peeling back and then letting it just bring out and like I find that so beautiful thank you yeah yeah and that's one of the things that drew me to your work too I know that's one of your questions 
Yeah, thank you. Um, and then I did want to talk about like the Washington Post review that was uh, written about your playwright. So I just loved a couple of things that they said, and I, I have a copy here, so I'm just going to read it. Um, but they basically said that in your play, you journey from your quote, letting the world choreograph me, to learning to say no to uh, to being an acquiescent Indian daughter. And I, first of all, I love that, like the idea of the world choreographing you. I feel like that's such a powerful, just like line right there that, you know, speaking of just South Asian society and how we're always told who to be, like that just hits it on the nail right there. But then um, they also called you an optimistic rebel. And like, I fell in love with that. That's so cool. But But they went on to say, Far from bemoaning how difficult it is to be bicultural, she is energized by it and uses it to break out as an artist in the Western mold. That is like beautiful. And so my question behind this is, do you have like a particular mission, you know, behind your artwork or behind your projects? Like what inspires you to keep creating and to use these different disciplines? Yeah, so there is, I would say, a mission that is more about exploring parts of myself that I'm not immediately looking at and sharing those. And really as an artist, if I were to be, again, raw honesty, is really that this need to share is really big. So then mm -hmm. if someone receives that honesty and that truth and feels that some part of them that they were hiding is also surfaced, then that is a great side benefit for me. And it brings me to true connection. So my hope from my work if it were to do what I hope it does. And again, I have to be honest with what work I produce and the outcome is sort of the outcomes, you know, the baby that I create is like gonna have its own life. And so I really do hope that people feel less alone. If I'm exploring things that I'm scared of looking at, then perhaps someone else has the same. And mm -hmm. so if it, and if it then gets translated as, oh, she's a, you know, South Asian artist, or it gets translated as, um, she's bicultural or she's optimistic. Those things are, you know, reflections of the, of the vibration inside of me. And I think that my poetry really is my therapist in some ways, because sometimes I, I never know where the end of the poem is going when I start it. That's my, my creative process. It's like, I write a poem out of curiosity. And so then when I get to the end, it's, it's a door that's opening that's saying, this is where we want to go. So what that, what that Washington Post journalist wrote about my work so many years ago is true and it still remains true because my work my writing is aspirational it's saying this is where i want to go it's kind of like the words are saying to the rest of my system like hey this is the direction we're going well, let's go you know in case anyone has questions about where the doubts and the fears are going like my poetry is sending me off you know and so i come back to my work a lot it always it always feeds me Oh, there's so many things in there that I just love that you said. And I feel like a big part of what you're saying is also like you're, you have this amazing ability to let your, like to leave your ego and just create. Cause I feel like so many of us as artists, like you do think of your work as your baby or your project as your baby. And so a lot of people find it hard to let go as like an artist or a painter it's hard to let go of a painting that you worked on for months or something like that and so for that can be a battle for many people myself included where you just like you almost like make it so precious to you because of what it means to you but I feel like you have this really beautiful way of saying like this is for everyone and it also gives back to me too and so it really is it's almost like 
it's being led by your higher self because your ego isn't attached to it. You're not waiting for, you didn't create it for a certain reason or for a certain result to come back from it necessarily. You're kind of just like listening and gifting it to the world. And I just feel like that is, has, it's such a more healthy relationship with creativity than a lot of people allow themselves to have, especially in this world where it's like constant creation every day, every, like there's no rest time. And I feel like you are able to navigate that really well because you're just like creating from such a genuine part of you, you know? And I would like to add, like, it's yeah. it's not as like smooth sailing and like silky smooth as I make it sound. The process mm -hmm. is rough and bumpy, right? Which is why I would join a program like yours or keep going to therapy because it is bumpy. And one thing I would say is that my ego does get in the way after I'm done. I'm like, what the heck did I just write? Like, is this anything? Is this anything? Is this anything? And so like, you know, I'm working on that for myself, actually. And that's one of the things I want to get out of the program is like, where can I use my own judgment, my own value system to assess my own work, right? So, and I'm already noticing it where like, I'm, I posted that Kamala Harris dance video and I sent it to three people and there's another dance coming out soon. And I sent that to three, four people. And then I was like, wait a second, before they come back to me, let me write down what I think, you know? And so I'm like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna have these people every time I wanna post them. Thing, you know, they're beautiful friends of mine and they'll always respond eventually. So I think that that gets in the way. And then the other, the other thing is that one of the problems I don't have is writer's block of content creation. My, my process and prop, uh, my resistance comes right after I write something. Like, I'm like, what is this? I'll, I'll dig around, I'll be like, oh yeah, I had a poem about skin color 10 years ago. So it is, it is coming from an honest place and then the ego monsters start coming in after. Totally. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And I, and I just want to touch really quickly on what you also said about like, sending it to a few people like I do that all the time. I actually caught myself doing that today with like, a project that I was working on. I was like, Oh, should I do this or this? And it was like, really trivial. It was not like a big decision. And I was like, Oh, I could ask this person, this person and this person. And I'm like, wait, always my go to of like needing someone else to validate me or having like, the, the idea of what I want to hear in my mind, but then seeing if someone else is going to disagree with it before I put myself out there. And so that's something that I've been like, even with this small trivial things, I've been trying to like force myself to be like, don't ask anyone, cut yourself off from that, just make a decision and do it on your own. And it's empowering, but it's scary. Yeah. And it's so good. You're catching yourself in the moment, right? I'm doing the same thing where I'm like, okay, am I asking because I actually need to pull people because I am not, this is not my expert area, or is it something that I... I'm just seeking approval for because I'm feeling my frenetic self. Like, am I my frenetic self or am I my whole self? That's asking. Oh, yes. Love that. Love that. And so kind of on the same note, like how has, you know, self-sabotage or procrastination or self-doubt, like how do those show up in your journey? And do they show up, you know, in your life in like art forms or in creation? Do they show up in other ways? Like how has your experience with those things been? Yeah, um, I think the biggest lesson I've learned is that when those things come up, that I have to lean into them. So, for example, since we're talking, um, <laughs> I think my brand, I just realized, is raw honesty. Like, here we are. And so the Kamala Harris thing, when I was like, why is this so important to me? It was skin color. And so um, I realized that I had a thing with skin color. And then as I started talking about it, I realized I was not the only one. And so I thought, okay. Let me hurry up my instinct, you know, my, my previous processing 
um, kind of system in my mind was, okay, well, fix this colors thing that you have going on. And then you can create co even better content. You know, you'll be even more confident. And then I realized that that is the work. Like me leaning into skin color, writing about skin color, dancing about skin color. I have a, now I have like my friend and I are going to work on a photography, kind of like a photo shoot about skin color because mm -hmm. it's so important to me. And, you know, we're, we're brainstorming by telling stories of my life and like figuring out what would be interesting. So I would say it comes up all the time, all the time. But I think that the, the, um, the trick, if you can handle it, if you can do it, is to stop and listen and say, okay, what's going on? You know, and there's a trick that you taught me was like, just talking to your phone and like those voice memos and say, okay, what's going on? Why are you struggling? You know, cause I don't have a day job now. And so like, this is me hanging out with myself. And so if I'm like, hey, today I need to write five poems and I'm not, then I can either procrastinate to your point, right? Like I can easily make it, make dinner, you know, be like, oh, well, I need to eat. Or I can say, okay, what's going on? What's happening? And then that could be my poem. That could be my next phrase. That could be a character in a play, you know? And so that is the work. So I think that that's the excitement you see in my face. It's like, that was a recent kind of adjustment that I'm making. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But I love what you said. And even from that starting point of like, oh, I just need, you know, this to be perfect, or I need to figure this out, then I'll do it. Like, we constantly do that to ourselves or have that thought, like, um, you know, I mean, I have a million examples of that, but like even with my YouTube channel, you know, I was like, oh, I need to look this way and I need to have this kind of background. And I, and I didn't even think about what I would even say yet. It's like <laughs> these things like are such distractions and we constantly want to be perfect. And especially like our society wants that for us too, even South, like general society, but also South Asian society, if we're talking about that, there's, they're always demanding extra perfection from women, especially. And so, you know, you, you, have to just be the perfect housewife, the perfect cleaner, the perfect daughter, the perfect, you know, look beautiful at all times and just all this stuff that you have to do. It's, it's never going to be that way. And so we have like this resistance to things being messy. Like we don't know how to allow things to be messy, but feel like we're still moving forward, you know? So a lot of the time, even though, just like you said, the messy part is the work, the struggle is the work. And like the fact that your poems come out of that is so beautiful, but like, it's, yeah, like, that's what we need to embrace more. And I feel like we're just waiting for that to go away. But if we're waiting for that to go away, we're going to be waiting forever. Because no matter how much healing we do, we're never going to be perfect. That's just inhuman, you know? Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's such a learning process to be okay with that messiness in the first place. But like, what you're doing and just diving right into it, like, it's producing gold. It really is the work. Yeah. Yeah, it seems so simple, but if you just like take the focus and put it this way instead of this way, and then it's like changes everything. It's it's these subtle, subtle adjustments, I think. And you raised something really important I'd love to comment on, which is, mm -hmm. you know, you said in this, especially in the South Asian culture, there's this perfection need. I feel like that if you look at it from an energy standpoint, that was really helpful for me. And so, for example, like if the energy is to, I, I call it hiding, like, um, hide from, you know, hide my real self so that I can, you know, make sure my nails are perfect. And, you know, some, sometimes I want my nails to be perfect. This is not a black and white story. But what I mean is that there's a lot of hiding going on and that's a retraction energy, right? And so like, 
And I feel like in the South Asian culture, we have a lot of retraction energy. So we're trying to fit in, we're trying to fit in, we're trying to fit in. So whenever you try to fit in, which is like a force, you something else has to retreat in order to make that happen. And so if you think about the energetics of it and you think, okay, is my body doing that thing? And you know, sometimes I'm like, I wake up and I still like, okay, right, ten, go. And I was like, that's not going to work. Like, that's how you did your day job for 20 years or whatever, you know? So, like, I have to really listen to, like, is my body moving, like, too much for something, too much against something, or am I really with the world, you know? And I think in the South Asian culture, there's just a lot of that. I mean, it's a beautiful culture. I would have it no other way. But at the same time, that's what, if you want, if self-expression is your goal, then you've got to come through it. Mm. Yes. And I love that, like that retraction energy and that pullback. That's such a good way of explaining it because um, I'm actually, I was recording a podcast on this topic earlier today and it was that same conversation about like, you make yourself small, right? To fit in, to make other people happy. You deny yourself so that, or you are taught self-sacrifice so that everyone else around you is happy. But then the biggest result that's kind of like the most harmful result from that is that we don't really know who we are a lot of the time. We're not given that time to explore who we are or to express ourselves genuinely. And with that constant retraction, like you're saying, you're pulling back, pulling back, pulling back. And this can start at such a young age before you really even understand yourself or understand life or anything. So when it's happening and that becomes your safety mechanism, it's like it's safer to not know who you are. It's safer to feel numb to yourself or kind of misguided um, about just yourself and what you prefer and what you like and all of those things. And I feel like that's probably like the most harmful and like the most painful aspect of, you know, trying to fit in is just that feeling of not allowing yourself to even see yourself because like you were saying that hiding motion soon you'll be hiding from yourself you know we don't even let ourselves see the scary stuff and that's all that repressed emotion and repressed memories all that stuff that just makes us that we carry around with us but we don't let ourselves see i think you you hit something like right on the head like like i think in our culture because we have so much retraction we're not asking ourselves what we want we think Mm -hmm. we know what we want you know um, and then we're like, well, is that really what you want? Is that really, really, really what you want? Like spice, let's go spice girls, right? Like, I love that line from spice girls. Cause I'm like, that's it. Like, it's not, you think you really want this. You think you really, but what do you really, really, really want? You know, and we're not asking ourselves that. And I would, I would say that poetry is where I ask myself, well, what do you think Neelam about this? You know, and that's where it comes from. But like to then take that into daily life, you know, and to your point, like, you might not even know, like, what is that movie about, like, the runaway bride? Like, you might not even know what you like for breakfast because you like the eggs the way that whatever your boyfriend likes their eggs, you know? And I think that especially, you know, in the South Asian culture where our energy is is fractured out by a hierarchical culture, right? Like, someone is, like, your older sister is your older sister, and you, you call her a certain name, like, Didi, and it comes with some energetics. Even if you're like, oh, that's just my older sister. In our culture, you know, it's, it's more like it's more like the British royalty where there's a lot of like gradations and you have that energy, then where is the room to ask, well, what do I want? And so I think you really hit that like and that's where pain can come from. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, there's so much that I feel like I could talk about this for like a whole episode, but um I also wanted to ask, so like exactly what you were talking about, you know, the self-doubt and like needing other people's approval, has that changed the way that you've made decisions in the past? 
Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think my loyalty to this industry. I worked in tech. Um, my loyalty to having the day job kind of designs life, where mm -hmm. you know you go to work and then you come home. That kind of thing was something that I just assumed I had to do. They're no one's fault, right? Like I think that was just that's just how it has to be. And then recently, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, I joined a meditation program because I felt a little frenetic and I was like, what am I doing? I've done all these one woman shows. I've done all these things, but I haven't let go of the job. I still have a full-time job and a full-time creative aspiration, you know, and it's exhausting. It's really exhausting to do both. And so I did this kind of meditation coaching program and learned a lot about myself. And I said, I'm not gonna hide anymore. And so I would listen to my intuition create vision boards and action plans first based on what my heart was saying and that it, it was just a process of breathing and listening to be honest you know um but it really did change me to to pause mm -hmm. and then make a decision and then things became more natural so for example then i decided to move to new york city this was pre-pandemic and that was something like i made a decision to do something and you know as the middle child, as the child second, you know, I usually am like, I'll just go with the flow. I like everything. Oh yeah, what do you like? Okay, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. I'm so mutable. I'm always like, you know, fit into any group. And I think that's a compliment to myself, but at the same time, a deterrent where I'm like, well, did you wanna live in Washington DC? Well, did you wanna, you know? And so I, I luckily pre-pandemic, I started my move process. I was there, supposed to be there for six weeks to check out apartments and neighborhoods, but it was cut to four weeks and then I came back to my condo here in DC, but it was so great to have that kind of shift where it was, you know, I got to be the main person. I'm not saying that now I'm the main person all the time and I know how to make decisions without other people's influence. No, this is a long process. I imagine it's a lifetime process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's the thing, like, just like you said, it was so empowering even to go somewhere for four weeks, even to just do something different. And like, I think that that's so important because just like you said, you know, it's not like one day you're going to learn how to never need anyone's approval or never need anyone's help making a decision. But there is still this kind of energy shift of you being back in the driver's seat of your own life, you know, and, and actually being able to make those decisions. And just like you said, you were talking about... Um, kind of that that need to ask everyone else first earlier in the interview and, and ask all these people or send them your video or whatever and that's how i feel it, it can be with decisions so much but even if you're not perfect even if you need help later if you just make a one especially if it's a big decision like moving to new york uh, um, or just exploring that you know it's so empowering and it creates such a ripple effect over the rest of your life because you're actually like giving yourself permission once and once you taste how that feels and you're like oh i have power over life like you don't really want to give that up and that and i think just to touch on here like i've had this conversation with a few people recently where it's like is setting boundaries or is standing up for myself or making a decision for myself like in their minds it's automatically hurting someone else or hurting the person who they're setting the boundary with and i love that quote which i'm sure you've seen a bunch of times online but it kind of just says like the person who is the most upset about your boundaries is the one who needs them the most you know what i mean mm. and that's exactly kind of the point it's like we're not we like it not an either or and someone shouldn't make you feel that way you know what i mean like and it, and we should be empowered to make certain decisions but just by doing it once it completely changes how you look at your life and that's the 
other thing too it's like we don't even allow certain things within the realm of our possibility like that like that's a struggle that i've had for the last few years like i didn't know how to even dream because i wasn't given that space to and so now that i'm like allowing myself to dream and dream bigger and think even bigger i'm like whoa like I can do this, but every step of the way, it brings up so much of that retraction feeling that you were you, you were talking about earlier. Like you just want to shrivel up, but then like you kind of work through that. And then you realize like over time, over all those series of small decisions, your life actually is exactly what you want or your whole life is so much more in alignment after a few years of just making these smaller decisions that are just really empowering because you've made them on your own. And some of those are imaginary fears, right? Like. Like you talked about setting boundaries, but sometimes you don't even need to set them. Like you make a choice, you do it. And then you're like, wait, did, did my family leave me? Like, did everything, is everything okay? And it's sometimes it's, it's in your head because you're so used to that structure that you created in your mind, you know? And I think that that's really important. And you're right. Even a small step can start feeling good. Like, oh, well that worked, you know? Um, and then the bigger steps would come. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's that also practice and giving permission that whole, like to yourself, like you don't have to constantly ask or like, I think of it as like giving away your power. You don't have to always give away your power to, you know, have that sense of agency over your life. But then just like you said, it a lot of it is in your head or a lot of it is kind of like these safety mechanisms that we're like, oh, it's going to be scary if I do that or if I ask them to do that or if I say this. And so you keep yourself like in this little like circle of what you think is going to make other people comfortable. So it's not even about your own comfort. It's about what's safe for this person, what's safe for this person, what's safe for this person. And that's why we lose that feeling of autonomy and we don't know how to claim that power over our own lives. Um, and, yeah. And I feel like when you say like what's safe for other people, like sometimes like, you know, I, I just want to caution against judging yourself too harshly on not making those choices because those emotional truths are true. Like if you think that, hey, if I take a class in something I love, you know, whatever, sewing, then I'm going to hurt my husband or I'm going to hurt my mom. And that's true for you, then that's true. Like, I, I, you know, and so it's really important to dig into that. Like, why is that true? Or how does that feel? Or you know, did you investigate it with that person? And so, you know, just to talk yourself out of it and put it in your head, like, oh, it's not going to hurt them. It's not going to hurt them. That's also more harmful because now you're not trusting yourself that your fears are real. And so it's, it's very layered. So I want to definitely say that um, I have those. Like, I'm like, oh, if I do something, like, I'll hurt people. I'll lose people. I'll, you know. And so it's like, where is that tension coming from? Why does it feel, like, murderous to move to New York, right? Mm -hmm. So that's true like don't it, it's really simple and i did this for years to be like that's not true you know that's not true why are you being such a wuss why aren't you making decisions and it's like well um maybe because that's true for me maybe that's true and so <laughs> i think that's really important to acknowledge is in part of, is part of self-trust is like you have to trust that your fears are real for you even if they're not real logically and scientifically and you can have you know a committee of people tell you that that's not going to happen you know but if it's true for you it's true yeah, exactly. And the fact that those come, like our thoughts come up in a pattern. So if you have a fear or something that you're scared of, though, that thought of like, my husband's gonna be mad at me if I do this, my mom's gonna be mad at me if I do this, like, most likely that thought is going to come up at every decision. So the more that you can dive into them and 
understand what these fears are, why they came up for you, you know, and giving yourself grace and validating yourself that it's okay to feel that way along the way, you will understand that, oh, it's like this giant group of thoughts that are all come together to try and convince me at once that I shouldn't do this scary thing. And that serves you too, you know, because then you don't have to do the scary thing. That too, that too, yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah. oh no, go ahead. Yeah, I was saying that's just really well stated. That's all I was going to say. Oh, yeah. It, there's so many layers to it, like you were saying, but like every time you allow yourself to go there with even one thought, you're kind of like you're kind of breaking open that pattern of like thoughts that like avalanche towards you every time, you know, and then it seems Absolutely. a little, yeah, a little bit less like an avalanche and a little bit more like, okay, this is scary. Like maybe I slipped on this like hike, but I can recover a little bit right. faster. Every right. time you recover faster and you feel that autonomy because it's, it's going to suck. Like at first it's going to feel painful and awful, but then it's going to start feeling so much better and so much better. And then all of a sudden, like you're not even going to be aware that you're making decisions without having to ask everyone else in your life, you know, because it's second nature to you. But that's also just the process of healing. Like a lot of the start of it really sucks, but that's okay. That's part of getting it out there because these are also stored emotions that you've carried around for so long. Yeah. It's going to be a hot mess. It is going to be a hot mess. I agree. So talking more about self-trust, how has that played a role just in your career as an artist? Um, I think that's the main thing. That's the only thing, you know, um, if, if I were to think about like my poetry, let's just start there because that seems to be the most active lately. Um, then I have to dive in first, you know, I have to dive into myself to find that truth. And that is all self-trust that, you know, I know that at the end of these, like if I give myself 20 minutes, at the end of these 20 minutes, I'm gonna write a poem, you know? And, um, and I have to, and we already talked about the listening part. So I think that that's, that's it. But like, for example, there was one time where um, you also have to know when you're not in that moment to, to trust yourself. Like you have to know when you're like, hey, I'm not vibing. Like if I sit down and I'm like, hurry up, write a poem, you know, and write it about Kamala Harris, do it right now. And da, da, da. then I'm like, okay, you know, like back off. And if I can't get to that back off energy, then I'm like, I need to go do something else. This is not going to work. But um, I think, I think self-trust is, it, it, it's, it's the radar that you have to follow. Like, and then if I think about theater, same thing, like, you know, if I'm in a character, I have to keep my radar on is like, am I, Am I being in character now or am I being Neelam? And if I'm being Neelam, you know, of course, there's some percentage of me that's Neelam to make sure I don't fall off the stage. But like that, that's me not trusting that like I can dive in, I can dive in. And in fact, I kind of like, I kind of think of self-trust less like diving. Like everyone talks about like taking the plunge. I've even had poems about taking the plunge and falling, you know, free fall and all that. And I feel like it's more like a jump up. Like if you jump up, you're going to get pushed forward, you know? And that's what it feels like self-trust to me. That like, oh, if I sit, sit down and write a poem and like this image of a hammock comes up, comes up, then I'm like, oh. And then I write down the word hammock and now I'm higher because now I have a word on the page. So um, yeah, it's a feeling. And, and, and you have to start becoming more and more aware of that radar. You know, and you have to just keep that radar on. You can go through a whole day, you can go through a whole year, you can go through a whole decade and not look at that radar, you know? And then, and then afterwards look and say, oh, that was a really meaningful moment. What was that, you know? But if you have that radar on and that's part of your clarity check and as an artist, 
that's built in. I have to meditate every day. I have to do these things because otherwise my creations won't be honorable to me, you know? Oh, I love that. It really does center you in every way. It's like, because again, going back to this topic of creativity and the ego, I feel like so many people put their creativity above themselves and you're really centering yourself and saying creativity will come from that, you know? So even with the meditations, even with the trust, like I, I love that it's just like an extension of you, but it's not like, cause some people like their creations really do guide them or like, I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but I feel like they have to match up to their creations. I think you know what I mean, but like- I think I do, yeah, yeah. I think, and I think the, the reverse is what's true for me is that the first year I ever did poetry, I didn't tell any of my friends because I worked in IT. I wasn't a poet, right? Or didn't identify as one, if we can say that. And so like, I would go to these open mics and my hands would be like literally shaking. And I'm like, and I, my sentence that I would say before was, I don't know if this is a poem or a journal entry. And I didn't think of that for years until right now when you said it's an extension of you. So sometimes I write a poem and people are like, that's really profound. And I was like, oh, I was just getting my crap out, you know? And then, and then I had um, the woman who ran the poetry circle, the open mic. She said, Neelam, you know, stop apologizing before you start. You just happen to journal in poetry. And I'm like, oh, that's just how my brain works. And so, you know, but it's just a great reminder that like that is, that's how I do my work. That's so beautiful. Oh, that's like goals that your journal entries are just poems. That's so amazing. I don't mean to be like, I journal in poetry. No. But, like, but that's my process. That's my process. That's how I can see the world and see the words and, you know, understand what's happening in my life. I, it, it's almost like I have to do it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, so I also just quickly wanted to touch on like, just not trusting yourself the moment like I feel like improv is actually a great example of this because with improv you have to trust everyone everything that's going on around you and trust yourself but even in my experience as like a tarot reader like there's been so many times even doing a reading for myself where like I can feel the flow and then other times where I'm just like I can tell that I'm forcing it like I know that I'm trying to get this to mean something or even right. if I'm not trying right. to get a Answer. Like I can tell that a part of myself is blocked and we're not getting the message through. And it's just, it's interesting because it's not about the tools. It's not about anything else, but it's just about you and your ability to like let go. And trust is so, it's just one of those things that you can't force, but you have to leave room for it. Like you have to leave room for things to happen, you know? And, and it's such, it's like the practice of holding space. Like it's so beautiful, but it's also like, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because you have to dive in. You have to dive into those unknown places, the places that are dark and scary, you know? Rage is something in the South Asian community that women don't have as much access to. And that's dark and ugly, you know? And so I just feel like that self-trust is scary. Like, this is not something to judge yourself for, that you have to go to these places that are, you know, scary and sometimes unbearable. And that's okay. You might need to take a break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one final thing, I feel like this kind of just goes back to that point of like, you're, you're a vessel for your creativity or for these ideas. And so being a vessel, it might not all make sense to you at the start, but maybe there's someone that's going to see it or interact with it or find that piece of art. And it means some, something so profound to them as well. And so creativity and trust kind of together open up this space to like, just let go and have, and, and have it be for a bigger purpose that you don't even understand or you can't even predict. 
That's really cool. I really love that you just said that because I could journal on my own and not share it. But the point of creativity and the real scary part of creativity is to share. And then that creates a new, a new um, situation where it can be bigger than just what's in your head. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, okay. So, um, with, you know, all this talk and everything that we've been talking about lately, um, you did decide to join Not Your Betty, which I'm so excited about. So what really inspired you to join Not Your Betty? And um, for anyone who's watching who doesn't know, Not Your Betty is my online course for self-trust and uh, decision-making for South Asian women. Um, it's something that I'm launching recently, and I have a bunch of videos um, and IGTVs on my Instagram that talk more about it if you're interested. Um, but yeah, Neelam is a student. So what really inspired you and, and motivated you to join? Yeah. Um, first of all, congratulations on creating this program. Um, very proud of you to come like into something that is so new and you're making it up as you go. So you're an artist in that sense too. So just want to acknowledge that, recognize it. And it drew me because I think, as I said before, the energetics of the South Asian culture and maybe other non-South, maybe American families too, but specifically the South Asian culture, there's so much energy towards hiding. And I think that that's, that's something that I have to, on a daily basis, work with. You know, like, it's not like I can take a break because I have a day job now that I can just like go through the motions and get it done. It's like, my day job now is to do my work, my emotional work. And so that's why I think, um, and I think, you know, and I'm a big advocate of therapy. I see a therapist now. I've seen therapists before in my life, too. And um, I've had non-South non Asian therapists. And um, sometimes, not any, not the one, now I'm more critical of how I select therapists. It's a very different process. I have someone I really trust and understand the world I come from, too. But she can't understand it. She's white. And so she can't understand it the way that you and I understand it just automatically. And I think the beautiful thing is that, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to like separate yourself from your family to be a fully 100% expressive artist. And I think, you know, I, I love my family. I want my family to be part of my life, you know? And so how do we integrate? And I think that word integration is really why, why I'm in this program. Like, how do I integrate everything? You know, my first one woman show might've had topics in it that my parents wouldn't want to come to. And so we had that conversation and then you know, they, they love me, they support me, but you know, sometimes you, you can't break bread with people if you talk about certain topics and there's certain things that are okay. But as I grew, I think it was just really important that, well, how do I embody that so I don't feel guilty? How do I embody that so that I feel present and full? And, you know, and I know that's what my parents want for me is to feel full and happy. You know, that's why we're here. So um, yeah, I think that South Asian viewpoint is really important. You know, I don't, I want, I want to celebrate the good and the bad, you know? I think it's hard being South Asian and an artist when there's so many topics. I mean, for me, I should speak from my personal experience. I don't know about other artists, but like, it's hard when you have these, these things in your mind that have been programmed, and I don't mean programmed in a negative way, but just in a way that, that was my culture, you know? I grew up in a house that was Indian, and it, was, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't um, you know, the American kind of style of like, follow your dreams and express yourself fully. That sounds amazing. I probably had signs that said that in my notebooks in high school and middle school, but like, that doesn't really, you're like, oh, but like, not really, right? You know, I, I can do that, but in my bedroom, right? So I think 
it's really important to do this work and to and to expand the definition of what it means to be Indian, right? Like I, I mean, my one of my biggest inspirations is Hinduism. You know, I love the Ramayana. I love talking about Krishna. I love writing about Lakshmi Mata. I love all that stuff, and it has to do with self-expression. And so I'm like, it's all written in in, in like how to express my divinity is shown to me in Hinduism, which is from India, you know? So I think there's a way, again, to integrate. And I think that's really important. I don't want to be a separated person. And that's so painful, like having it just be, you know, like, this is my artist part, and then I go home, and this is how I'm an Indian daughter. And like, that's just painful to even think about. Like, I'm one person, you know, I'm a daughter who's an artist. Exactly. And I love that that just, well, okay, going back to what you first said about like therapists and just kind of this either or side of like, you know, I, I can either be the artist or I can be the daughter. And I feel like a lot of therapists will give you that kind of message. Like if they're not South Asian, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't see your family or maybe you should cut them off or, or things that are a little bit. And but within South Asian culture, family is so important and it's so central. And yes, you know, there can be people who are South Asian who need to cut their family off. And, and that's OK, too. Absolutely. But safety first. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But that's also not the only two options that we have. There's so much gray area in the middle and it's that either or thinking that's really difficult because, you know, you don't want to sit there and explain to a therapist like what's going on and how they can understand you. And it gets really exhausting because then it's not even a space in which you're being taken care of anymore. But then the advice that they give you is also, sorry, I think that's the pipes if you can hear that. But um, the the advice that they give you is often to just, you know, turn away from all of that. And then as a South Asian person who family is central to you, even if that might look different over time, that it's like ripping your heart out, you know, to say like, I have to just cut off everything that's important to me so that I can be happy, but I'm not going to be happy if I cut out everything that's important to me. Like, and there's such an overlap, but again, I, I really just don't think it's either or. And I think we just need more voices talking about this and adding yep. to the, yeah, to, to allow ourselves to live fully and authentically and not feel like we need to, you know, live in a vacuum. Right, right. I love that. Um, I, I, I mean, that dichotomy is so painful, right? Like, it's so painful and it drives so many decisions, right? And so I think this is so important. And so that's why I joined the group. It's like, I want to keep exploring those colors in between black and white about this, you know, follow your culture, follow your heart. Like, it's both, by the way, right? Like, I want it to be both. And then, and then on the flip side, I now have a wonderful therapist who's white. And she will, you know, talk about her own, you know, being white and what that means in the room. And she will support when I say, hey, I joined a group of South Asian women. And she will, you know, signify that that's really important. And that she's like, she's like me understanding it versus me being helpful are two different things. And so, you know, and she's able to interrupt herself and say, oh, wait, you know, I don't want you to have to explain this. And so I have a very apt and able therapist who understands this. And if I do need to see someone different than her because our work is done, I would talk to her about it. And we've talked about skin color and we've talked in the present moment, but it doesn't mean I can get everything I need to be independent from any one person, let alone a therapist, you know? And I'm also, I'm also excited about the community. Like if, it's, if I'm not the only one in it, then I'll meet someone else who's, you know, of the same kind of on the same path that wants to open that door and wants to go out of it and see what happens, you know? 
it's more fun to do things together and it feels less lonely. Exactly. And the community is my favorite aspect of it too, because just because of like, even going to Brene Brown and like shame doesn't survive being spoken. Like these are all the like South Asian society has so much shame ingrained into it, especially for things that are out of the norm or for women being like liberated and autonomous. Sometimes we're shamed for that even by other generations or other people that we know. And it's really frustrating. So to be in a community where there's multiple people talking about all these things and, and not allow themselves to be held down by shame and like bonding over that. I think right. that so much strength. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's a huge point, actually. I know we're probably out of time, but like shame, like you have to talk about it in order for that shame to be released. And I think, yeah, I think this is just so powerful to unplug that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm psyched. Me too. Okay, the last question is just, what do you hope to achieve inside Not Your Betty? Um, smooth sailing life, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but something more to it. Like, I, like one of my goals, like I don't like to make goals. I like to think of words and like um, directions for my year, New Year's resolutions or whatever, whatever time I'm making resolutions, whether it's the New Year or, you know, March. Um, and one word that came in was, um, was just like, was, it was it was dive into self-trust. So it's kind of funny that that's also exactly what you're talking about. But really just, just really like absorb myself as an artist, you know? And the fact that I came in here um, introduced as an artist, this is a big moment for me, right? So yeah, so that's part of it to really just dive in. And so what I'm hoping to achieve from this is um, a deeper acceptance of my path in the world that I know where I'm going. People see me as an artist. I'm not not making art, but that's very widely different from me really feeling it 100%. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is so beautiful. Well, I am so excited to have you inside Not Your Betty, and I just can't wait to like, just see everything that you do. Um, but thank you again for joining me on this live and talking so candidly and open. Like I'm sure that people really enjoyed it and just, loved everything that you're doing because I seriously do like you are just so cool <laughs> just thank obsessed. you well I'm so glad I found you too so and thank you for offering this program yeah of course well thank you for everyone who watched and stuck around the replay will be on Instagram um, so you can watch it later and thank you again for joining yeah and follow me guys I'm at um, at dance with Neelam and you'll see my poetry and my dances there and if anyone wants a custom poem I'm also offering that I'm working on my website but uh, that's a new business that I've started. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. Oh, Thank okay. you. I will also leave her Instagram in the comment section as well. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. All right. Well, was that not a beautiful interview or what? It was so impactful and just taught me so many great lessons about how we can learn to trust ourselves and how creativity for anyone can really be the perfect arena to play with that self-trust and start getting used to failure and start getting used to confronting your fears and creativity although those things are real and scary can just be the perfect arena for us to start to play with those things and test those things out for ourselves so i hope that you loved neelam and love this interview as much as i did i want to thank you as always for listening and if you are interested in booking a one-on-one -on -one self-worth coaching session or you're interested for signing up for a one-on-one -on -one tarot reading and self-worth combination 
Nation session, then definitely head to the show notes. There's going to be links to sign up for both of those options. And as I mentioned in the introduction, if you are interested in Not Your Betty the next time around or want to discuss it with me for this year, then the contact form to do so is going to be in the show notes as well. All right. Well, thank you so, so much for listening as always and happy healing.